Hey everyone, welcome to Unless Nonetheless. I am Rachel, and unfortunately today there is no Melissa. So Melissa, at the time of recording this, is actually dealing with some heart things, and you might have seen it on social media, and we just decided to go ahead with the podcast that we had planned today with a guest. Um, We were going to record two, release them throughout the year, and so Today, I am with my friend, Kristen. Melissa and I are both good friends and our mom too, actually, with Kristen. So Kristen, go ahead and say hi. Hi. Thanks for having me. Yes. I'm super glad you're here. Um, We're not talking about anything fun today, so (laughs) be warned. (laughs) Obviously, if you're listening, you have seen the title, but I'm really glad that Kristen is here. Um, What we're going to talk about today is really, really important. Um. I will let Kristen share um, her story a little bit, but first I just want to say if you are a person who struggles with mental health or thoughts of suicide or you know someone, you have a child or a spouse or a friend or a family member, this is a really important episode. And honestly, even if you are like, I don't think I know anybody like that, you will at some point. And I I truly believe everyone needs to take a listen, even though it is – maybe going to be tough, but I think it's so important in the the world that we live in today. So Kristen, will you, um, well, why don't we just introduce you, Kristen, tell us what you do, where you live, your people, that kind of stuff. Sure. So uh, I live in Marshall, Minnesota, so Southwest Minnesota. Um, I am a mother of four and um, right now we have a son that's in his second year of college and then we have two middle schoolers, one in seventh grade and one in eighth grade. So we're super busy with um, football and sports right now. And, um, yep. and then I work with my husband full time. So he does, um, estate planning and I run his office. So the two of us kind of do that together. And so we're super busy work-wise and, um, just kind of, you know, managing our children and our three dogs that is crazy yeah. in our, <laughs> in our home. Um, and then we have a fourth <laughs> son, um, Isaac, who is kind of why we're here today. Um, we're going to, I'm going to share about Isaac and, our story with him and um, kind of his process through some of his mental health struggles and um, how we lost him to depression and suicide in uh, 2019. Yeah. Do you want to just take a few minutes and briefly recap? I mean, we've got a lot of things we're going to talk about today, but just kind of share with us as much as you can wrap it up in a, you know, a three to five minute window, Isaac's story, your story with Isaac. Sure, sure. So, you know, Isaac was our oldest, and um, he was one of those kids that, um, like, if if he had been able to have been typed on the Enneagram, I would have said he was probably a two. I mean, he was, he's like, he was so much like me in the way that he was a giver, he was a caretaker, mm-hmm. um, he was seven years older than our next son, Gabe, and so, like, when Gabe came along, he was changing diapers, I mean... He just, he was a helper <laughs> in all ways. And yeah. that kind of carried through, you know, his adult life. He took care of people. He wanted to see that other people succeeded. Um, the downfall of that is that, um, as you know, if, if you're a two, if you are somebody that is a helper or a giver, sometimes you put your own mental health, your own um, well-being, you know, ahead of right. other people. And, and that happened... Mm-hmm. Too. Um, he would, you know, wanted to make sure that everybody else was taken care of and um, sometimes to his own detriment. Um, we right. did not know, I will say, that um, 
when we, we, so we moved to Marshall when he was a freshman in high school and that was a really hard transition. We had lived in a community for 13 years prior to that. So it was the only community that he had known. He had best friends there. And so when we moved to Marshall, um, it was an incredibly hard transition. He, it took a long time for him to make friends. He was an introverted kid, um, not super outgoing and, um, it, it wasn't easy for him. And so this was never a place that felt like home to him. And, um, and so just, that was really, really tough. There apparently were things that were happening during his high school years that we were unaware of. Um, we found out later once, once he went to college and, um, some things happened in college that, um, he had been cutting in high school. Uh, It was not things that we had any Mm. idea going on. Um, he was doing Mm. it places that were easy for him to hide, um, you know, on his upper thigh yeah. or on his arms and places that like were always covered. And so we just never saw it. Um, yeah. you know, he was quiet, but he, you know, he had got good grades. He did his homework. He didn't drink. He didn't do mm-hmm. drugs. He, he didn't go out and party. Like he, right. he just, he was a good brother and a good kid. And, and so we didn't see any warning signs from that perspective. Right. Right. And so he went to college for his first year Gosh, and, hard. um, yeah, it, it is hard because as a parent, you want to be able mm-hmm. to see those things going on. And, um, he just right. was really good at, at keeping it hidden. And so when his first year of college mm-hmm. didn't go as planned, um, you know, I know there's a lot of people, my husband and I both went to our first year of college and it didn't go well. And, um, we had to change to a different school and, um, and that was devastating. And when that happened to Isaac, it was devastating to him. And he felt like a failure. And, sure. um, mm-hmm. and he transferred to a different school. He, there was an episode and he cut himself and he cut himself um, really severely. And the ambulance was called and he was taken for his first stay at a, a mental facility. And that's when the reality, you know, when he, he started to be a little bit right. honest with us, that this is something that had been going on. He'd been doing this for years. You know, mm-hmm. we had idea. And, um, you know, and I just wanted to fix it. You know, I just wanted to, mm-hmm. to make it better. And, um, that for right. us was the start of many years of in and out of, um, facilities for him. Sometimes he was forced, sometimes he went on his own and, um, mm-hmm. and ultimately the, the last year of his life, um, things seemed to us to be really good. Um, our relationship was really good. He had a good job. Um, there were some things personally that were going on that were really stressful to him that, that we knew about, we thought he was handling it. And so, Mm -hmm. um, when he died in December of 2019, it was a complete and utter shock to us. Um, right. Oh, it's it's hard. I mean, yeah. I mean, it's not easier. I think if you see it coming, but to feel so blindsided is that much worse. I'm sure like it's all terrible, of course, but yeah, I mean, I was, we were walking through that with you and you just had endless questions and none of them had answers. And that's, what's so hard about depression and suicide. It doesn't make sense. Right. And there aren't the answers that we all want. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Okay. Okay. Well, um, thank you for sharing that. I, we're going to talk more obviously about it. I would like to share my little experiences, not my little, my my experiences with this as well so that we can kind of merge them together at different times. Obviously I've not lost a son and there is nothing, nothing that could be the same as losing a child. Um, 
But when I was 19, my best friend from childhood, um, we lost him to suicide and we didn't see it coming that particular short season, like that summer we didn't see it coming, but he had been struggling with depression for years. And it was like that one summer he just kind of lived his best life and then ended it. And it was like, we, so it was like everybody thought he was doing well as, as well. And that really, really, you know, rocked us all, of course. And just, we were good friends. We were good family friends. So we just, you know, walked through it with his parents and we even stayed there for a week and we spoke at the funeral, you know, it was just, it was a lot. And then he was young, you know, 19 years. I think he was actually 20. And then, um, I've had some of my own kids in and out of, um, facilities, you know, the behavioral health units, um, a number of times. I mean, I think we probably six times, um, between a few of them. And then myself, I was suicidal, um, when Ephraim, Ephraim is 10. And when he was a baby, maybe, maybe eight or nine months old, I had really bad postpartum depression and it just, it tanked so quickly. It was bad. It was getting bad in March. And by April, I was like, I, I'm out. And it's so – And I've, okay, so I've been suicidal a couple times. That was the worst. Um, two other times where I was like, oh, this isn't good, but it didn't last as long. Um, and I am just – the way I've dealt with it is I'm just very, very, very open with people. You know, I'm a mom. Like it's – I mean, it's like you wonder why don't people tell, you know, what what's going on with them. And But if you don't – if you don't feel like you have anything to live for, then it's like, why would you? And for me, I didn't feel like I had anything to live for. Like I didn't, every time I have felt suicidal, it's like, I'm like, I don't understand that having something to live for has never pulled me out of it. It's knowing what it would do to my children. That is the only thing that has pulled me out of it. And it's, God has used that for me to tell people like, hey, you might not want to leave me alone for a little bit. You might want to incessantly bug me because I'm not in a good place right now or whatever. And So it's weird because I am a pretty positive person in life and like I'm happy and I laugh a lot and I have a lot of joy. But when that darkness comes over, there is like nothing like it. And I, it is not, um, it is not something that you can explain. Like, how can I be happy in this moment? And then be like, I would literally take my life in this moment. I just honestly feel like it's just the devil has entered this world, sin has entered this world, and there is no goodness in the enemy at all. And when I'm, when I'm in that place, like I just feel covered by the enemy. And, you know, I've never been suicidal more than a month, you know, and that's a long time. But I think people who struggle with it day in and day out, year after year, I mean, it's, that's, and I don't know for Isaac, of course, and I don't know for my friend Cam how much he was thinking about death leading up to his death. But I now have more experience with children who have struggled with this of my own. And just it's something that like if Pete, you can get people to talk about it, it's so much better. Like it's so much better. Like you would have given anything I know to know yeah. what Isaac was thinking. So you could have stepped in and and p- if people don't talk about it, there is nothing we can do. and. So if you're listening and you're like, well, you know, I, I have a child or a friend or whatever who's regularly struggled with depression, it's time to start asking, asking some questions. Do you think about dying? How often do you think about dying? Like, I have a, a child right now. We are having these conversations. Um, I don't think that this child is suicidal, but the child thinks about dying a lot and just thinking that that wouldn't be so bad to just not be here. And, 
these are scary things to have one of your kids be thinking. And so the more we can make this child comfortable with let's let's ask these questions, let's talk about it pretty regularly, let's check in on a scale of one to ten, you know, today, how are you feeling? Things like that. But like mental health and suicide, it's always, I mean, Kristen's older than me and, you know, growing up in the 80s and it's like you don't talk about it. It's like mm-hmm. it was such taboo if somebody did end their life by suicide and certainly people didn't talk about being depressed leading up to that or being on medication or even seeing a therapist. It was all just so taboo and it just isn't anymore. And I mean, I know that there it can still be, but like we're changing things. Like people are talking about it and we are making a change and I – want to be part of that. I know you are very, very verbal on social media and and I appreciate everything that you share. Um, so that's my experience with, you know, um, depression and suicide. Um, so Kristen, what do you think is important for people to understand about mental health and suicide, whether somebody whether somebody has died of suicide or they just think of suicide, like the suicide ideation, is that what they call it? Yeah. Yeah. So I think that one of the biggest things is just that like mental health, um, suicide, it can happen to any family. Like it doesn't matter if you're wealthy. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter if you're a Christian family. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter if you're great parents. Um, you know, I used to have this, um, I will be honest. Um, I used to have this perspective that if you were somebody that, um, died by suicide, you were very selfish. That was my, um, that was my mm-hmm. mindset. Like if I would hear a story of, that somebody right. had taken their own life, I thought, well, how selfish of them? How could they do that to their family? Well, it's definitely what I grew up thinking too. Yeah. And we probably grew up thinking that because we probably heard that. Right. Yeah. That's what people would say in response. And about two years before Isaac died, it was kind of in the worst of it. About two years before Isaac died was kind of the worst part of his um, mental health journey where he, we had to have him Mm. um, sent to the hospital and he wasn't happy about it. And he didn't talk to us for almost a year. Mm-hmm. And it, w- it was really, really ugly. And I came across this gentleman named Sam Eaton. And he's out of Minnesota. And he um, is really open about the fact that he went through a, a very de- you know, difficult time. He's, he struggled um, on and off with depression for years and years. And he came to a point where he just said, I'm done. I'm, I'm going to take my life on this day. And he had like chosen a day. And mm-hmm. uh, something happened. And you know, he, he credits God. He says God intervened and um, something happened that day and it, he didn't take his life. And um, he now is using his experience to share, you know, what happened to him yeah. and um, use it as a way to, to bring hope to others. And one of the things, the yeah, first great. things that I ever heard from him um, two years ago was suicide isn't selfish, that, that the people that are dealing, mm-hmm. that have, have chosen, you know, that have taken their own life. Um, they're helpless. Like they're in, in, in that right. moment, they are at their most helpless place that all they want to do is end their well, pain, on top stop of it, their suffering. Right. Well, and on top of it, when you're in that place, you feel like such a drain on everyone. You feel like everyone would literally be better if you were gone. And so it actually, it's the opposite of selfish. It is like, I'm relieving everybody of the burden that I am in this yeah. place. And that soaked backwards to what you do think, or especially what most of us grew up thinking. But as somebody who's been in that place, like I was like, I'm such a burden. And like I said, if I didn't have children, I would, I mean, I really don't think anything else would have been like enough to pull me out of that. But it was like, okay, but also just picturing my children having to deal with 
that my death. I mean, just no matter how it came, like you just don't want your kids to have to walk through a death of a parent and, you know, kids shouldn't have to. But for me, it was like, I'm just this massive burden and oh my gosh, I don't, nobody, nobody should have to deal with me. And so what a gift it would be to the world if I took myself out of it. And that, that doesn't make sense to me now. Like I know that I felt that way, but I'm like, how could I think that way? But that's where this just darkness consumes you. Right. And it speaks lies that make so much sense that are so, so, so believable. Right. And I, I was listening to a podcast um, the other day where she was talking, you know, she's also struggled with mental health and suicide, suicidal ideation and um, just kind of said the same thing. Like those feelings are so oppressive. And, you know, I haven't mm-hmm. experienced them necessarily to that level, like for long term, but you know, just that they're mm-hmm. so oppressive and it, it, you do be- start to believe like the truth that it would just be easier for mm-hmm. everyone right. if you weren't here. Right. And when I hear those things, right. it, it gives me some insight into maybe what he was thinking. I mean, I don't, I don't know for sure because he, right. he wasn't open with me about what he was feeling right. and thinking, but it, it does make me think that, that that's probably some of the lies that he believed. Like I'm, I, mm-hmm. I am a Absolutely. burden it would just be so much easier if they didn't have to deal with this, you know, all of the bills, all of the, mm-hmm. you know, the problems that I'm causing, all of the, mm-hmm. the heartache that I'm causing. It would be so much easier if I just weren't here. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is so sad. But. Right. And the truth is, is like what I understand of Isaac, what I have seen of him is like he was just this loving, amazing person. Like he would do anything for his family. And so right. he yeah. had to have been thinking that to feel like. Because like a person in that moment, they they do know they're going to hurt their family by taking themselves, but they think it's just a short-term pain, but I'm relieving them of the long-term burden. And yeah. Yeah. Okay. So how do you think talking about these kinds of things can like help our society? Like, why do you think it's important that we talk more about it and what, what could that change for, you know, the world we live in? Well, I just, I think that for a long time, mental health issues just have been shrouded in so much shame. I mean, like you were saying before, you know, we grew Mm -hmm. up, you don't share about those things. You don't talk about going to a therapist. You don't talk about suicide. You know, you don't share, share about the struggles that your own kids are having. Um, You know, I'll share this Mm -hmm. about my husband and, and only because I think this this shows, you know, even just how we were all raised when when we first heard about Isaac um, his initial response, and I give him so much grace for this, just because he, you know, I was hearing a mm-hmm. different message for the the two years before Isaac died. Of you know, this is we can talk about these things, and he wasn't necessarily getting that message. Right. And um, the first thing right. that he said was, "Well, I don't. We don't need to tell anybody." Like we, we. I said we need to call our pastor. Like how we he need died. to tell our church, and he was like, "We're, we're not mm. going to tell anybody. Like we were not going to have a funeral. We're not going." And, and it's like. This is our son. Mm. Oh, we still I didn't love that him. Part. Yeah, you know we. Right. We. I'm not ashamed of him. I don't. I'm not happy right. mm. the way that he died, and I wish it was a different mm. story. But he's still our son, and I still mm. love him. I'm still proud of him. Right. I mean, he was an amazing kid. Right. And um, I'm right. still proud mm. of him. And so I think that when we hear other people's stories, when I listen to you know a woman on a podcast talking about how she struggled for her whole life with suicidal ideation, and she's doing things to try to you know combat that and and you know work through mm-hmm. it, I have compassion for people like that, and I I recognize right. like how hard mm-hmm. it must be 
day in and day out right. to deal with that kind of, um, you know, right. sickness. And, and I think that right. we need to be able to be willing to share those hard things. Um, you know, we get dressed right. up. Like I, I don't come on a, a podcast. I don't go to church on Sunday morning looking my worst. I put on makeup and I put on right. my night clothes <laughs> and I want, you know, I want people to yeah. think that I've got it all together. And what they don't see is like, maybe I'm screaming at my kids or I'm screaming at my husband on, in the car right on the way to church because mm-hmm. we're fighting over something stupid, mm-hmm. you know, like. We don't right. like to show people our reality, you know, our mm-hmm. struggles. We want people mm-hmm. to see like the pretty package on the outside, and um, and right. I, I even I just, in we death. do people a disservice. Yeah, and we do people a disservice when we do that. And mm-hmm. I think that I agree. You know, it, Isaac was probably one of those that just wanted to like. I've got it all together. It's okay. I, you know, I'm okay. And, and what he was mm-hmm. doing, another part of what, yeah. of his story is that he was, you know, we've got a history of addiction in our family, extended family, and he was mm-hmm. using drugs and alcohol to deal with the pain he was feeling as right. a way to, to numb right. the issues. And, and that led mm-hmm. to, um, I believe mm-hmm. in, in what ended up ultimately taking his life. Um, and so you have to be so right. careful in how you're choosing to deal with the pain, you know, just because yeah. you're, you've got mental right. health issues, mm-hmm. you can't pick up a bottle or pick up a drug or as, as your way of mm-hmm. like escaping it from that route. That's not the best way to right. manage it. No. Well, they're depressants. And you're only going to feel worse when you're high or whatever wears off. And then now right. you need it again to make you feel what you felt. And then it's cyclical. Yeah. Right. So if we have oh, we have people listening, if we've got parents, aunts, teachers, right? Like we've got people listening who are all these things. And if they have someone they know or love who's dealing with mental health issues or possibly suicidal feelings, what should we do, you know, in these roles? How should we take care of like, obviously, you're, I know you're not an expert, but like, you've lived a lot of this and you've done a deep dive into understanding everything you can, um, which I really admire you for that. Like you didn't just say, well, this happened and now we'll just grieve and, you know, take our grief with us. You've been like, I want to understand my son. I want to understand what was going through his mind so that you can share. I mean, I just, I admire that so much about you. Um, So what should we do? You know, one of our kids is struggling with depression or we're a teacher and we see it in a kid, you know, or I guess even if it's an adult, but what are things we should do and what are things we should not do? Right. So sometimes it's hard for me to answer it only because I feel like if I had all the answers, Isaac would still be here, you know? Um, but sure, I feel like, sense. you know, I can look back. I feel like I give myself grace and that as parents at the time, we did the best we could with what we had. And so I would say right. that first mm-hmm. and foremost to anybody that's listening, like if you are, if you are dealing with this, mm-hmm. if you're walking with a child or somebody that you love that's dealing with mental health issues, you are doing the best you can with what you have and know that. And so, you know, right. first and foremost, start mm-hmm. with prayer, you know, for a long mm-hmm. time. I mean, I had this visual yeah. where I would just sit with my hands open and just like literally pray like, Lord, he is your son first. Mm-hmm. Like he mm-hmm. is yours. I get the opportunity to raise him mm-hmm. and be his mother here on earth, but he is your son first. Yeah. So I'm just going to like right. trust that you have a plan for this. Um, and, right. and so sometimes like the best thing that we can do is pray for them. Um, you mentioned that, yeah. you know, like having these hard conversations. And getting to- other people to pray. Yes. I don't think that we should yes. skip the value of having many people praying. And I yeah, think I want to just say, I think it's easy to tiptoe and be like, I don't want anybody to know, but also like 
but we need people praying. And so, oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. We had people that were, that mean to knew about what, no, no, that's, that's a super po- good point. Um, mm-hmm. we, we did have people that we trusted, um, that, that knew mm-hmm. about our situation. There was a couple of times where, um, we just had some close friends at church that would like pray over us at church mm-hmm. for yeah. some of his very specific situations. Cause they understood, um, right. like how kind of how dire things were. Um, right. Mm-hmm. And, you know, sometimes as parents, we have to make really hard choices. So there was a time in, I don't know, it was probably 2017, 2018, um, where he was sending me text messages that were, were really concerning. Um, he sent me a video that mm-hmm. was very concerning and, um, he was at college at that point and we knew he had access to, um, a firearm. He had purchased a firearm. I mean, we knew about that and it, it Cause you know, mm-hmm. we just, we knew he had one, not because he was depressed, mm-hmm. but just because he liked to go shooting with his, his right. uncles and his dad. Mm-hmm. And, but we knew he had access yep. to it. And at that point it became very right. concerning that he's on a college campus. You know, this, there's all of these things go, happening on colleges, campuses across the country. And, um, and I could just envision, you know, could this be my son, um, who's suicidal mm-hmm. and, um, has access to a firearm on a college campus and what could happen. And so uh, I remember that morning um, we had to cancel appointments with clients and um, drive, you know, two and a half hours down to his college dorm or his college apartment. And we sat outside of his college um, apartment for five hours before somebody finally came and we were able to get in. We were knocking on the door. I mean, he wouldn't answer the door. We had no idea what was going to happen. And he was, fine. Mm. He was alive. He was not in good condition. He hadn't slept in days. And, um, we basically gave him an ultimatum and said, you, you can do this or you can do this. We'll, you know, we will take you to the the hospital or we'll call the cops and they'll take you. And I mean, we, it was horrible. And as a parent, you don't want to, you don't want to have to do that. But we felt like we didn't have any other option. No. So sometimes I think that you have to gauge right. your situation and say, where are we at? Mm-hmm. Um, and so we took him and mm-hmm. um, that started the year where he, he removed us as guardians and um, only would talk to my sister. <laughs> he added my sister as his point of contact, which was great because my sister like would call me then and say, okay, this is what's happening. Um, so I still got yeah. to hear about what was yeah. going on, but um, it was really it was right. an incredibly painful year um, for both of us, for right. both Dominic and I. But it was something that we felt like it, we kept him alive and we kept other people alive because mm-hmm. of our choice, even though right. it was probably the, one of the most right. painful choices we had to make. Um, and as right. a result, mm-hmm. you know, during that time, we just prayed that God would restore that relationship. And he did. Right. And so... Like we saw restoration during that horrible, horrible year where God brought him back to us and he was a little more healthy. We had a family vacation. Um, And so sometimes we have to make really hard choices and then we see the fruit of those hard choices. Ultimately with us, you know, something horrible happened, you know, later, but we are so grateful Mm -hmm. for that period of time that we had where, um, we, we did see restoration right. in that relationship. So I don't regret yeah. those choices. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Well, we've had similar situations where we forced a kid into, um, a, you know, they, like you said, sometimes it's voluntary when they go and sometimes it's not. And you have to do a lot to get somebody like chaptered and committed against their will. 
Um, and we did it. I mean, we had this child had um, attempted, threatened. I think it was more of a threat than an actual attempt, but it was supposed to appear as an actual attempt. And we took it seriously um, twice in in 30 days. And we were like, okay, this isn't getting better. You are not making, nothing is making any changes here. And you're not doing any of the work you say you're going to do, you know, because it takes work to get out of that place. And we had him committed and I would go to the hospital every day during visiting hours and be told he won't see you today. And I would leave and I would just sob in my car and I had little kids and I would have dropped them off at a friend's and I would go to her house and I would just sob in her house and I would go the next day and no, he won't see you. And I mean, he was there weeks because he refused and they wouldn't let him out until he did the work. Like he had to like actually involve his parents and it's, yeah, it's hard. And he could have cut us out for a year. Like, you know, those are the kinds of things that happen when you make those hard decisions, but better to make those hard decisions and have, you know, a rocky season in your relationship than for them or someone else to end up gone, you know? And so- I totally agree with that. Sometimes you just have to make the hard decision, you know. Um, yeah, it's it's not fun um, to have a kid who, like, hates you and says they hate you. But in the end, like, in our situation and in yours, it's like our kids could see, okay, I could see why you needed to do that at the time. Like, I can see. Right. And there was restoration for all of us. But, yeah, making those really, like, hard decisions, ugh. Yeah, I don't. Um, I don't like reliving those mind- times in my mind. <laughs> yeah. So, all right. What is there anything we should not do that you can, you know, say like, do not, do not do this? I mean, I obviously don't ignore it. Like, obviously, you know, I don't think um, outing people's. I guess I'm throwing a few out there. <laughs> outing people's struggles for them, like in a public way. You know, I was always really respectful of what my kids were walking through as much as I felt I could ask for prayer and help, but also like respected, you know, I sh- and, but that's tricky because I always want to share really real on social media. I want people to know like we're not this perfect family and we don't have it together, but also it's not always right. my story to tell. And yeah, so there were so, so many times that it's like, okay, so that's where sharing in private with people and, and, you know, um, yeah. Can you think of things that it's like, this is not something you should be doing when you have somebody struggling with these issues? Um, yeah, I agree with you on that. I I was really, uh, when I, I see sometimes in my Facebook memories, posts come up and it's like, oh yeah, that was a really tough time with Isaac. And I'm just like asking for prayer, but not saying it's about Isaac. Um, so I agree with that. Like yep. you've got to be really I mean, careful the same when thing. they're alive. <laughs> if they're, mm-hmm. you know, if you're to do that. Um, I can be more open about his story right. now because he's not here. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm certainly still protective of, right. of certain aspects of his story, but um, right. you know, for his memory's sake. But um, you do mm-hmm. have to be careful about that. I, I think one of the things when I look back at my relationship with him and maybe what I didn't do well was that I, I did just want to, I wanted so badly just to make it better. Like from my perspective, I could see um, and I went through really hard times. Like I, I, um, you know, had to change colleges and I was pregnant before marriage with Isaac and we went through, um, active addiction before my husband got into recovery. Like we have had some really, mm-hmm. really hard times. And so I can see from a perspective, from that lens, like you can walk through really hard times. God will get you through if you trust in him. And, and sometimes I think that I would say to him, 
you just need to trust in God's plan or you, you just need to, um, like, God does have a plan for this. And what I have learned mm-hmm. now through grief um, is that telling somebody that God has a plan for something when they're walking through something really hard is not helpful. Um, it can actually mm-hmm. be hurtful. Um, right. Now, if I've walked through something yeah. hard and can say for myself, God, I believe God did have a plan right. through that. Like God was able to use that hard situation mm-hmm. for me. But for me to tell my son that, you know, God can do something really good with this, or if you just try, you know, those are all true mm-hmm. things. It's not that they're not true. It's not that mm-hmm. God can't do it. But I don't know that those are the most encouraging words for him in that space, especially right. when he's at that like super dark jumping off like point, you know, like right. Christian platitudes right. don't really mm-hmm. make things better in those circumstances. And so I just think you right. have to be careful right. to not try to fix it with your words. Sometimes it's better just to sit right. with people. Mm-hmm in those hardest moments Mm -hmm. and say like, I am here. Mm -hmm. I don't know exactly what you're going through and I'm so sorry. And if, you know, I want to be here for you. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and I don't know why this is happening. You know, sometimes it's better to say things like that. Oh, that's so good, Kristen. It's really good. Than to say like, I know God has a plan. Well, he probably does, but they don't, you know, I don't think Isaac needed to hear that at that moment. I don't think that was helpful for him. Right. You know? Mm -hmm. Right. Well, it's, I mean, it's like when someone, when you lose someone you love, you know, they're in a better place because you know, they're with Jesus, but does that make your grief any better? Like, no, just because it's true doesn't mean it's a helpful thing to say or hear. And yeah, that's really good. I really appreciate you saying that because I think I need to remind myself of that in a current season I'm dealing with right now with one of my kids. So (laughs) okay, we have to wrap this up because this has gone a little long, but before we finish, please, if you have not rated our show, please, please go and do that on Spotify or Apple. Um, we also have reviews on Facebook and um, now I guess podcasts are on Audible. So I, you probably can read it, read it on there too. Um, we have a ministry we want to spotlight. Um, so Nick Cuck is, she started a ministry called Eminent and Eminent is basically a special needs, um, like she's like a liaison for people who have kids in special needs. I don't even know if that's the right way to say it, but Basically, what she does is she walks through special needs planning with family members who are like, I I don't know how to get services for my kids. I don't know what I can get, you know, have them help with and things like that. And she is educating and helping empower families. And it's just such an incredible ministry. So if you know somebody who's in that place, please have them reach out to her. She is on Instagram. It's eminent, E-M-I-N-E-N-T. I will when this um, when we post this episode. I will also put her stuff on our social media, so you have to be paying attention for that. But the website is Eminent S N P um, Special Needs Planning dot com. Eminent S N P dot com. So that's the ministry that we are spotlighting this week. And thank you, Kristen, so much for coming on um, and sharing Absolutely. with us and just talking with me about this. So, all right, you guys, have a great week. Thanks, Rachel. You might feel that your life is a mess, but don't feel bad. Ours is too, but we own a microphone and we have no shame. That's why we'll talk about how our life is a mess nonetheless. That's the name of our podcast.